Hi, this is Sarah. If you like this episode of Let's Talk About Sects, you can listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The audiobook will be available on Audible, Apple Books, Google, and Kobo from the 28th of June. A link is in the show notes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is part two of the final episode of season four of Let's Talk About Sex, which has been quite a ride. It's been such a pleasure to have Audio Technica on board again as presenting partner for the season. Their support has meant a lot, and their equipment is a huge reason why the show sounds great. Right now I'm recording on an AT4050, which I'm loving and hope you are too. Be sure to check out Audio Technica's Creator Pack if you're looking at content creation yourself. And if you're not a producer, get onto their home audio setups to get your home entertainment on point. Find out more at audio-technica.com.au. Gloriavale Christian Community is recognised around New Zealand for the distinctive dress of its members, especially the women, who wear headscarves to denote submission to men and a neck-to-ankle garment designed by the group's Australian founder, Neville Cooper. Some say the community represents a pious life set up around ideals of sharing everything, but others say the way it's set up is breeding predators. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we continue, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing, related to emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. This episode also includes mentions of sexual and physical abuse, including of minors. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening to. This is the second part of a two-part episode about Gloria Vale. If you haven't listened to the first part, I'd recommend you go back and do so now. The Gloria Vale community was in crisis about Neville's arrest and subsequent sentencing, but the leaders told them that the charges were foul lies and that Neville was a martyr jailed for preaching the gospel, that the church was being persecuted by outsiders. From prison, Neville wrote lengthy letters for the Gloria Vale leavers to read out to the community members. The leadership group visited Neville each week and told him everything that was happening at Gloria Vale. Neville was released after serving less than a year of his five-year sentence and on his return to the community, things did seem to get a little better. Leaders were more careful in their teachings around sex, and partition walls were built to give parents some separation from their children in the dorm rooms families lived in. Neville's granddaughter Hannah Harrison, who lived at Gloria Vale until she was 20, described these rooms for me. Your entire family lives in this one room, which is about four and a half metres wide by eight metres long. So, yeah, your entire family of up to 12 children and your parents all live in the same room. 
So generally they'll have like a subdivider between the parents and the kids' rooms, but it's not like a solid wall even. So, and it doesn't have a door. So none of the doors have locks. None of the bedroom doors have locks. None of the bathroom doors have locks. Um, even in even in like the main building, where it's all like communal toilets and everything, none of the none of the doors have locks. Gloria Vale in its materials certainly makes the community seem welcoming to outsiders who are permitted to join. They're expected to spend an extended period of time there first before committing to this way of life. Liz Gregory of the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust told me it's not something that happens very often. So I think in there at the moment they've got one fellow that's been there about three years. But prior to that, the last person that's joined and stayed was in 1987. For those who leave, the attitude seems similar to the exclusive brethren. Lilia Tarawa wrote that speaking of people who had left was considered a sin. Hannah told me about the attitude to those who had left while she was involved. The first significant time I can remember someone leaving and being upset about it, I was about six years old, um, and it was sort of this resign yourself to the fact that they're going to hell now and you need to never think about them or talk about them again. And quite often when they tell, like when you find out someone has left, they won't actually say their names. It's like somehow saying their names will give them, I don't know, some kind of power or something. I guess it's taking away their sense of, identity um but yeah it's a it's a really big thing especially um when adults are telling the children about someone that's left and I remember being told this like by my aunties and my parents and stuff as a kid don't talk about people that have left don't ever say their name again like it's like you can somehow just cut them out of your life by not saying their name again um As I got older, I still, I probably even more strongly believed that they were wrong for leaving. Um, And more than once, I made pacts with my friends that I would never leave. Um, And and I even went as far when I was 15 as making my commitment in front of the entire community. And what you say that you'll never leave. And the last line of the commitment says, if I break any of these vows, I do so to the peril of my soul. So I actually really believed, probably up until I was 20 years old, that if I left the community, I was going to hell. Um, And if I left the community and I thought I wasn't going to hell, I was deceived and I was definitely going to hell. and I, and I believed that about everyone that had left. As much as I missed some of them and I, it, I found it hard to reconcile with what I had known of some of the people when they were in the community to be like, to, to reconcile those two things, that they didn't love God anymore but that they had when they were in the community. And I guess in some ways that, helped me to question things because I was saying like I was seeing two different things I was seeing what the leaders were saying and then I was seeing the character of some of those people that had left and being like this doesn't line up something's not right here. Even considering leaving members stand to lose everything their entire way of life for some the only family and friends they've ever known Yet people do leave Gloria Vale, and with almost nothing to show for their years of labour and dedication. If they leave with their numerous children, their needs are many. It was absolutely amazing to be able to leave with all my family, but leaving with a big family has its own implications and the fact that you you actually have to have somewhere to go. And, you know, you're not just one person or two people that can just find somewhere for the night. There's... 14 of you um 
and that had a lot of its own implications with like my parents learning to cope with having to look after their children all the time because like in there you're you know you're at the centre you're the, the kids are at the centre in the school and being looked after by the community and like it's quite different to having your kids with you all the time and I think I learned a little bit about my younger siblings where I was just like I had no idea they talked this much because I actually never spent that much time with them um, and like there's a lot of implications from that side of things but then and, and, you know, and learning to handle money and, you know, actually how to use an FPOS card and things like that. I Like when I went to the bank and got my FPOS card, I was still too scared to use it for about four weeks. And by that time I'd forgotten my PIN. <laughs> so I had to go back and get a new PIN and all that all over again. Um, and, you, you know, just experiences like shopping and things like that that you never have to do and you know I'd say I don't like going shopping and people are like but you're a teenage girl how is that even possible um things like that but then from like from the perspective of like sure I left with my immediate family but there's so many people in there that I left behind like both my both my sets of grandparents are in there Oh, you know, all, all or most of my uncles and aunties were in there. And because they have big families, you end up with uncles and aunties that are around your age. So they're more like older siblings. Um, and, like, we, we left secretly because we didn't want my family to get split up. And there's so many people that I, I wanted to say goodbye to and I wanted to say, you know, I still love you. I know that you won't understand this. And, and you, know, you know, please, please don't think that I don't love you and that I'm not a Christian anymore because I do. But, you like, we couldn't say goodbye to anyone. And I think in a way, I don't, like, I don't know because I didn't say goodbye, but you tend to wonder if that is somehow some kind of closure. Not that you want closure because you, like, I want those people to be part of my life still, but they're not. Um, and in some ways it's just, it's like a piece of your heart is getting ripped out and, And, like, you don't know if you're ever going to see them again. When members leave, they're often terrified of people in the outside world who they've been taught are all selfish and evil. But these days there's somewhere for them to turn to, the glory of our Leavers Support Trust. Liz Gregory is the trust manager. Prior to setting up the charity organisation, she and her church community had been unofficially doing this work for some time. It was about eight years ago and a couple ended up coming to our local church. Um, they had been um, put in contact with our church through a mutual friend who had also left Glorabelle when he was a young teenager, literally been put on the side of the road and he made his way up north and then a year later came down to our region. We're in the South Canterbury region of New Zealand. So yeah, our minister was asked to make contact with this fellow who might need some support. He'd literally lost his family effectively and needed to you know, have some people who would look out for him. And so he passed the message on to this other family that had left recently and said, you know, come to church with me on Sunday. So that's basically how it started. These two small groups started coming to our church. And I recall one of our other church members just saying that they just looked like the saddest, um, you know, people that they'd seen in a long time, particularly the lady. And uh, we were away that weekend. When we came home, people were talking about this 
family that needed help and care. And uh, some of the ladies I know went around and just delivered some food parcels and realised there wasn't much furniture in their home. And it really just started out of um, just charity um, and care for people who looked quite lost. And we're uh, quite involved in our church and we're a friendly church and we enjoy each other's company. And so um, it was probably quite a nice place for these people to land. We're a conservative church as well. So um, we wouldn't have been, um, there wouldn't have been too many conflicts in their brain about some of the ways in which we, you know, which we worshipped. Liz's church community started to put forward the idea to the Gloria Vale leavers that the instruction to have no further contact with their loved ones who were still inside was not a Christian-like rule, that it could be questioned. So there was definitely an encouragement for those who had left to try and go in and see if they could connect up with family members who were still in there. And so some of the younger fellows and guys in the church got on board with them and what began was, I guess, a, a ministry into Broadvale, some sort of um, like you know Bible smuggling in China concept. <laughs> um, and it ended up with books and podcasts and people would um, try and talk to people who were available maybe three in the morning on a dairy farm. Um, and so it was quite, an, yeah, a, a sort of a sustained effort. It's been eight years. And in that time, 185 plus people have left. Um, so we call that the big wave. Uh, prior to that, I think it had been five years earlier that a family had left. And then it had been 15, 20 years of quite stable community. So this beginning of this wave eight years ago was a significant uh, marker, I guess, in Glorivelle's um, history. And about two and a half years ago, we realised it was sort of escalating. There was a lot of work being done by volunteers and we couldn't see an end to that. And we realised there was some need for resourcing of this. So we were given advice. Uh, you could begin a charity, then you could apply for grants. And some of these grants could help um, give funding for those leaving, and it could give funding for uh, wages and staff to be able to work in this charity to create support networks. So that's what we did. Um, the people that had been heavily involved created a charity. We had brought our levers on on the trust board as well, and together we yeah set about beginning a charity from scratch. We didn't have any other models to follow from other high-demand control groups. Um, it wasn't something that we could find here in sort of Australia or New Zealand. They might well exist in other parts of the world. But we did the best we could to come up with a strategy we thought would work to support leavers. And really, it's just gone from there. Liz officially works four days per week for the Trust, but in reality is on call 24-7 and a few other people each contribute between 5 and 20 hours per week. I asked Liz what she thought other support organisations might be able to learn from the ways the Leavers Support Trust have been doing things. I think it's definitely reproducible, um, and we would like to think that once we um, have expanded a bit more and got a bit more um, information and wisdom behind us, that we would love to be able to work with other groups to help them establish similar, you know, charitable groups. Um, I think a, a doggedness and determination is really what's required and uh, loving and serving heart. I think those things go a long way. And I think just other groups that want to set up like this, realising that it is sort of an all-in life. It's a, it's a, it's not a nine-to-five. It's not a job. <laughs> um, it's got to come from a heart that's more than just a job. Um, because you're, you know, you're dealing with, with people's lives and um, who they are. So there's an emotional investment there. So it's about not being cold and clinical. And I think that's where if you're going to rely on government agencies to deliver services, they might just be a little too cold and clinical and a little inflexible. And we've always been concerned about moving people on straight into some of those other groups to just have them look after them or to take care of all their needs. Um, we asked leavers themselves, you know, how would you have felt if when you came out here we said, oh, here's this group over here and they're, they're good at resettling people in communities and we just sort of put you onto them. They all said, no, 
No, because you guys understand us. You know that when we go to the clothes shop, we don't want jeans. But to be honest, like the practical needs are met in a short few months. And it's actually the emotional and the cultural needs, the ongoing support that's required. And I think um, you've got to have flexibility. If you're going to start up a group, you realise you're walking a road with people for a really long period of time and for the long haul. Um, but hugely rewarding. Liz told me about the immediate and long-term needs of leavers. So in the short term, they're literally coming like refugees. Um, And so they need a lot of just practical support. So sometimes they might come with a driver's licence, depending where they sort of sit in the hierarchy of the community and whether it was deemed necessary for them to have one. Fortunately, most families will have one driver. Um, but they might not come with their licence because it's locked away in a cupboard somewhere. Um, Perhaps they don't have their identification either, like birth certificates. So you're starting from scratch. Someone's literally coming without a backpack and you have to start setting them up. So bank accounts, IRD, WINS, which is New Zealand's um, support system. I guess one of the things that global leavers find out when they leave, is that sitting underneath them is a huge financial structure. They actually had bank accounts and didn't realise it. Um, They'd signed over control years ago. They did actually have IRD numbers, but they don't know how to access them, what they're for, how to even log into the system. So all of that we have to work through with them in a semi-complicated fashion. It's no easy system to get all those things ironed out, uh, especially if you're trying to do it without Glorivelle's help. Um, and so, yeah, anything practical, clothing, furniture, school enrolments or set kids up, families with homeschooling, they need a house, they need a job, um, everything. So just anything practical you can imagine um, they need help with. But add on top of that, they really need love and care and a good night's sleep. Actually, they need weeks and weeks and weeks of good night's sleep. They're often exhausted. It's emotionally challenging. It's traumatising. Um It's great that as more leave, they've got more family out here who can rally around and say, you will get through this. This is a period and a season of great adjustment for you. You will make it through. Uh, People who love and care as they have these big ups and downs, um, which is really normal. So I guess the longer term is that long-term emotional help. And then we're finding after two or three years, we're getting quite a lot of people. We, We stay in good contact with people um, and they've become friends, close friends. But, yeah, we'll, we'll have people after a number of years saying, oh, actually, I'm wanting to pursue education, um, but I'm not sure quite how to access higher education or maybe what I'll study. Do you have any ideas or contact? And so, yeah, we've had more people come and sit down and have advisory sessions and we'll run politics in universities and have discussions with groups to help them into that So, yeah, the ongoing support that can still be there in a number of years can be around just helping them, um, yeah, make big life changes and decisions uh, as they go to buy a house. Um, You know, we're often asked to be involved in that. Um, How do they know they're not being duped? How do they, what's the process of buying a house? So we really um, thoroughly enjoy walking alongside these people who are friends um, and, and helping, it's a, nothing, you know, pleases us more. In fact, I got a phone call today from a, a fella and um, he rang with um, given a car seat and he was by himself trying to fit this car seat and he, he couldn't work out how to fit the car seat. And so, yeah, he, he rang, rang me. And I said, oh, what's the brand? And Googled it together and said, do this, do this, do that. And he said, I've got it. Great. Thank you. <laughs> so just... Yeah, everything from from that to really big life stuff. The glory of our Leavers Support Trust fills a lot of gaps that are lacking in social safety nets for those who leave high-demand groups. Liz says it's difficult to find counsellors and psychologists who really understand what these people have been through so as to be able to help them effectively. Initially, she even tried to get the kinds of support that's available for refugees. We went to our local work and income and, and wrote a letter and said, please send this higher up the chain. But you give refugees resettlement packages coming in from overseas to help them resettle. While I'm telling you, we've got refugees in our own country 
um, is there some way we can access this funding? And it's just gone nowhere, so we've gone higher up the food chain and we're still trying to have these discussions, but no one's getting back to us. And it's the frustration that you keep having to knock on agencies' doors. But it's been two and a half years since we decided we were going to deliberately knock on as many government agencies' doors as we could, and we were not going to give up. We made a conscious decision. Had enough. This is what we're going to do. And you would be shocked at the level of correspondence that I have sent in particular directions to government and have received nothing back. But we are not giving up. We've had to tell the levers we are in this for the long haul. We, we're not disappearing. This is long term. We're going to be here in 10 years. We're going to be here in 15 years. We're not giving up and we're not going away. And we will stick around to support people through this. And I think that's been great. That's uh, given them confidence. And the fact that many of us have been working in this realm for the last eight years shows that we're not just fly-by-nighters. Um, we're not interested in our own fame and fortune either, although we do get a lot of good media attention. It's all strategic. It's designed um, to have an effect because we want change. But we are determined, and uh, there are two or three women in particular and um, we sort of have a giggle every now and then about the irony of women who have decided not to let this go <laughs> because in Gloria Vale it's this patriarchal male leadership-dominated you know, society. And um, there are women who are not going to let this happen, but you know, supported by fantastic men. Not saying the men aren't involved, they are. Um, but there's certainly a determination there. I think women are more badly affected by these thought control rigid groups, women and children. Uh, we find that the men are just um, a bit quicker, and uh, but the women, yeah, struggle a lot with the emotional loss of their families um, inside Gloria Vale. Having to build a whole new life after leaving Gloria Vale isn't the only thing that Liz likens to the refugee experience. There's also a massive culture shock. So we like to think of people who've left Gloria Vale as having come from another culture. And we try to explain that to them as well, because I think they feel um, very alien when they come out. Um, everything's topsy-turvy and they don't feel like they fit in. And that's because they don't. And so you need to say that's really normal. You don't feel like you fit in. It's like someone coming from another country. And when they come here, they don't feel like they fit in either. And that's okay. Um, so what we want to do with you is to help you understand our culture. And why don't we understand your culture a little bit better? And perhaps we can help um, you integrate into this culture. And so we don't actually encourage them to throw out everything they've ever believed in an instant and in a day. It's a really unhelpful way to deal with someone leaving a cult. Um, we like to say, cling to everything that you believe to be right and good and slowly work through a process of changing your worldview. So when you come out here and perhaps you come to church, um, a lot of them wear head covering and it's not even a conversation we have with them. Um, some people in our church wear head covering. For the woman, most don't. It can be a really big stumbling block for people coming out of Gloria Vale. But we will never say, why are you wearing a head covering? You don't need to wear a head covering. Because to be honest, who cares if they wear a head covering or not? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really of such, an, it's so inconsequential, it really doesn't matter. Um, they've got so many other things they need to make decisions on uh, that what's the point of tackling some of their core beliefs Um at such an early stage. And over time, uh, same with wearing trousers. They will see that people out here wear trousers. They're extremely uncomfortable with that concept, usually to start with. And we don't even bring it up with them. We say, how, how would you like to dress? You know, you, you know, you're wanting to go you know, modest, long sleeves, long, long dresses. Great, Let, let's go to this shop together. 
secondhand shop and um, see what we can find for you. We're not trying to push people into wearing jeans and shorts and short. It, it's, it doesn't matter. Couldn't care less what anybody chooses to wear. It's too much of a step in their mind to be throwing out everything they've believed. Religious beliefs are really deeply held. It's more than just what you like for breakfast cereal. <laughs> like, but religious beliefs are held inside. And so we don't want to rip the carpet out from people's worldview and have nothing there to replace it with. So, uh, and it's a bit like that with their culture as well. We don't want them um, to feel like they've got to throw away everything about their culture that is dear to them and the only thing they feel familiar with. We say, why don't you keep with those things until you find yourself at a time where your brain can cope with change? Because cognitive dissonance is a huge issue for people leaving high thought control groups. Um, the you know difference between uh, what they believe and, and what they're now doing. So they've believed their whole life that if they leave Glorival, they're going to go to hell. But now they're living in the outside world. And this conflict creates a pain in the brain. <laughs> and this dissonance can lead to all sorts, you know, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, you can choose to run away from it and refuse to face it, or you can choose to face up and say, I might have to somehow make my thoughts and my actions align a little bit more closely so that this pain in my brain disappears. <laughs> and so, you know, you're trying to work with them. And some of those things are cultural. But like I said, Glorival is an all-in life. Their culture was attached to their religion, which was attached to their family life, which was attached to their working life. It's so combined and you, you just got to work away a bit at a time with each person individually. It's not like you can say, oh, come on, a, look, leave Doraval and we'll put you in this halfway house for three months and uh, we'll put you on this step, 50 step program to cultural awareness. It just, it's not like that. Uh, when they leave, they actually often want to react the other way and don't want anyone telling them what to do. They've had that their whole life. <laughs> so, you're looking at those sort of um, adjustments happening in the form of friendship and trusted relationships. And for many inside the context of a healthy church, this is where they get a lot of their sort of you know, social etiquette lessons. Uh, these guys haven't learned that when you come to someone's house, you would knock on a door and you would um, say hello. And, you know, what do you take when you're going for a meal? Uh, and that you can invite people to your house. Oh, and that when you leave someone else's house, you don't just leave. There's many times you just look around, well, where's so-and-so? Oh, they've gone. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, cultural etiquette, social etiquette. You, you don't go into people's houses and open up their cupboards and walk around and rubbish and pull things out. So there's just a lot of, um, and that's not to say that everyone in Glorival does that. There are different you know, etiquette standards in any social group. Uh, but, you know, these guys have lived with no personal ownership. So these kids haven't owned their own bikes before. So, or their own property. And so there can be a casualness that comes with other people's property and how you look after things. So there's a lot of um, sort of just general cultural training and you just can't do it all in one day. You're in for the long haul um, of teaching manners and thank yous and pleases and how to converse with someone. Like, in Gloryvale, they're just around these 600 people all the time. They were born with them. You don't say hello, goodbye, how are you? Like, there's no reason to ask and have small talk. Um, their life experiences are more limited. So when they come out here and they're talking with, with us or outsiders, uh, if we say to them, how are you? You'll often get a look and a reaction. They think you're trying to dig around for some sin they did on Friday night or they've heard something about me <gasps> you know what have you been up to what have you been up to they think that we think we're just saying how are you what have you been up to oh great you went to the beach how lovely for you <laughs> they think uh, they're going to be judged and get told off for something they did that was wrong <laughs> and so yeah it's just this really slow process of, of cultural awareness and indoctrination and one of the funniest stories is a family who left three or four years ago went back to visit some family um, recently 
and they came back and said, man, people from Gorovao are so badly mannered. And a couple of us there laughed our heads off. We said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, we know. <laughs> and um, you, you don't recall <laughs> how, you, how you were when you came out? And she's like, oh, oh, surely I can't have been that badly mannered. And they went on to explain what they'd done and we were just laughing with them at <laughs> the irony. But, yeah, you don't see it when you're in there. For them it's the water, they're, the air they're breathing, it's the water they're swimming in. And so um, it's great that over time they become aware of, you know, the unique aspects of their culture in Gorobao, which perhaps aren't acceptable out here socially. And, and then you, you have to move further into then um, trying to help them make friends. Like in Gorobao, you're just born with these people, the people you go to preschool with and school with, your classmates, your age, they are your friends. You never had to make them. You didn't need any skills for friendship making. These people were just forced upon you. And it's quite a skill to make friends, and it's a skill to keep friends. And um, and but they need friends out here because it's a really lonely life if they think they can be cut off from their family and friends in Brewell and live out here in an isolated fashion. It's actually unhealthy. It's not. It's not good for anybody. And so um, yeah, we're quite big on social occasions, and you know we often have families land in our home. We've had um, six um, stay for a period of weeks when they've left Brewery Vale uh, before launching them into, you know, other aspects of their life. And we love that time because we build a friendship with these people. We play games, we laugh, we cry, we talk, um, we, you know, help set their lives up together. So it creates a great um, basis for friendship and trust. Uh, in Brewery Vale, you don't trust people. Might inform on you, so you need to tell these people we're all your friends. We're going to look out for you. We're not interested in judging and criticizing. We just want to help you have a healthy life. And so I think friendship, love, and care wins ahead of fifty-step program to reintegration into society. <laughs> Hannah Harrison had some experiences that certainly reflected a lot of what Liz told me. I got quite lonely after I left. And I, because I, I was quite shy and everyone was new and I was just anxious all the time. Like even at the best of times, I don't like me- meeting new people and doing new things. So when everyone was new and everything was new, it was, it was a lot. And um, I just like... I, I just ended up staying at home all the time and, you know, helping my mum and doing all that. But it got to a point that I wasn't even helping her because <laughs> I was actually so depressed and lonely and I didn't realise it. And I was just, you know, I would spend five or six hours in a day in the middle of the day watching movies and I thought that was okay, like, and this wasn't just, you know, on a weekend or whatever, but this was all the time. And I think it was just my way of just turning everything off and being like, I can't cope with this, so I'm just going to stop trying. Um, and, yeah, and I, my parents actually ended up saying to me, we are going to make you get your licence. Because I didn't have my licence either, so I couldn't go anywhere, even if I wanted to. Um, And they said to me, we're going to make you get your licence because you're lonely and miserable and you need to go, you need to be out of this house, basically. And and it kind of, like, dawned on me, like, actually, yeah, I actually am. (laughs) Like, I just, I honestly had not realised that's what it was. Um, But, and the thing is, you, like, at the time too, like, when you're leaving, you think that's it, that's the worst it's going to get, that it will get better from there. And there's a way in which it does. But there's a way in which it doesn't get better. It doesn't just go away. Like, as much as you want to forget about it, it's still there. There's a lot of ongoing issues that I think if you knew when you left, you would find it a lot harder to leave. But... I guess 
too. I've got an amazing support team and, you know, people around me that are just a listening ear and, you know, a shoulder to cry on and, what if, you know, someone to tell you a stupid joke to cheer you up or whatever else. Um, but, yeah, there's just there's so much I've learnt and but this. I can see that there's still such a long way to go, if that makes sense. And I think there's a lot of ways in which there's still things after you leave that you have to unlearn things. I mean, there's, and there's things that, you know, and, and thought patterns that you actually have to go, no, that's not how I should be thinking about this. This is not right. This is, and yeah, it's a long process. It's not. It doesn't happen overnight, that's for sure. In 2010, Neville Cooper retired from Gloria Vale's Board of Trustees but remained in a leadership role as an overseeing shepherd. In February 2018, Neville was admitted to hospital after a heart attack, which nearly killed him. Then in May 2018, Neville Cooper, Gloria Vale's hopeful Christian, passed away from prostate cancer. He was 92 years old. Over the intervening years, the community had found itself in the media on a number of occasions, mostly when people who had left shared their stories. One former member told TV3's Campbell Live in 2015 of being held in isolation in The Shack for a period of four weeks at the age of 14 for having a relationship with a boy. She was one of two twin sisters who said they'd experienced verbal, physical and sexual assault at Gloria Vale. They also said that they were made to fast for being overweight. By 2017, the ongoing stories from former members resulted in an 18-month investigation into the Gloria Vale Trust by the charity services, but the New Zealand government ultimately decided there was will from the leadership to improve things, so it was allowed to remain a registered charity. Gloria Vale found itself hitting the headlines again in 2018, when community member Clem Reddy was convicted of physically assaulting his daughters over a 13-year period. The father was sentenced in the Greymouth District Court to 12 months supervision. Judge Tony Couch, when sentencing Clem, said, The culture of the community influenced the way in which he disciplined his children. Clem also had to attend parenting and anger management classes. Originally, the name of the convicted man and his links to Gloria Vale were subject to a suppression order, but News Hub argued for lifting the suppression order in the public interest. Gloria Vale appealed, but lost the appeal, with Clem's daughter Connie also arguing for the lifting of the order. Connie had left Gloria Vale in 2015 after the death of her sister Prayer, who had Down syndrome. Prayer choked on some meat at the age of 14 and had been inside a so-called isolation room, with the doors unable to be opened from the inside when it happened. The community claimed this was to help prevent sickness spreading when someone had a contagious illness. Connie Reddy's brother Luke said upon Neville Cooper's death, quote, There are no words for the evil that man has propagated and condoned in the name of God. A man named Howard Temple assumed leadership at Gloria Vale some months after Neville passed away. Hannah hadn't had a great deal to do with Howard during her time there, but she told me that he liked to come up behind the single girls, put his arms around their waist and his head on their shoulders, and give them a big hug which made her feel quite uncomfortable. She said he was quite a nice guy in general, but that he had a terrifying temper on him. 35 former members signed a letter requesting another inquiry in December 2019, believing that the leaders had not changed things for the better since the findings of the previous charity service investigation. But after initial inquiries and a number of visits and improvement notices, In August 2020, the New Zealand government declined to investigate again. Liz Gregory told Stuff, quote, I'm at a loss to explain how bad an organisation needs to get before there is intervention. This is an embarrassment to New Zealand. 
there are people being harmed at Gloria Vale regularly, and unless government agencies get serious about it, there will be more and more harm. In September 2020, former member John Reddy filed civil proceedings in the High Court at Greymouth. He is pushing for the trustees to be removed based on dereliction of duty. He's working with the support of the Gloria Vale Leavers Support Trust, which has increasingly been moving into advocacy work in conjunction with its other services. Uh, we know there's a lot of agitation and a lot of pressure on Gloria Vale at the moment. There's uh, court cases, police charges pending, there's just a lot of pressure and at any point we're aware that there could be you know, groups of people coming out that need settling quickly. We're getting a lot more people inside Gloria Vale who are needing help and support and they're not getting it at Gloria Vale and so we're actually on the quiet, we've got the, the black market going on inside Gloria Vale to help people um, where they need help, where they can get it from us. And then there's a lot of advocacy now. A lot of people starting to speak up. Glorella is incredibly abusive. Um, they have managed to keep a lid on their ex- excesses of abuse for decades. I mean, everyone knows that their leader, hopeful, you know, spent time in, in prison for um, sexual offences in the 90s. But there's significantly more um, at play than that. But they've managed to keep it in-house. Um, until May last year, where there was um, abuse that was revealed to the police and it did spark a much bigger investigation just among um, boys and teenagers. And it is it has been a, an ongoing investigation. It's resulted in several lots of police charges and there's a lot more work for them to do. But I think um, that comes with, um, I guess, people who've left start to feel a freedom to talk about things that may have happened to them or family members. And even though that police investigation hasn't started on um, sort of female issues or abuse past 15 years into its 50-year history, that is likely to start coming out in the next couple of years. And so it's, it's very, very sad. Not only that, extreme amounts of psychological and emotional abuse as well. So the advocacy side of things has really taken off um, and all across the country we're working with counsellors to try and find the right fit for people. And so, and and some want to um, pursue things further through the police or through legal avenues. So we're regularly contacting lawyers for particular purposes to try and link up levers with people who can best meet their needs. I asked Liz about her thoughts on whether the bigger issues at Gloria Vale may have been ignored because the community was being looked at in terms of religious freedom and where she thought the line should be drawn. I think we're in a tolerance culture, uh, but I think we might be tolerating wrong things. Um, And it is difficult as a person of Christian faith and all our trustees. We were well aware that if we weren't careful... Um, we would be putting other Christian groups and charities in the limelight because of, um, you know, we were calling on the government to deregister Gloria Vale as a registered charity. And we were well aware, wow, this could one day come back to affect religious freedoms in our country. However, um, it's not Gloria Vale's religion that we have issues with. We're not um, we're not um, going in and attacking that with the charity services, it was nothing to do with religious issues. I mean, they're using the same scriptures as us, so we couldn't see, you know, um, we, we weren't arguing with the government over their religion. We were saying these guys are, are abusive. They have control and power over people in a way that in our society is not okay. And that the Charities Act in New Zealand says you're not allowed to have. Will you? consider investigating Gloraval on the basis of those issues. Um, so it wasn't about, we've never had a religious argument with them in the, in the public face. It's not one religion against another. Um, it's you're abusing people. Uh, you are behaving criminally. We have laws in New Zealand. So part of me, you know, I'm not a socialist at, at heart, and I don't think that running around creating another 55 laws around, you know, um, 
religious groups and whether they can say this and say that in the public sphere. I don't. I think we've got enough laws. We actually have enough in government. I remember the um, Prime Minister um, emailed recently and said, you know, government has the resources and um, the ability to, to deal with some of the issues you are talking about. So, no, we won't be doing an inquiry into Gloria Vale. Um, you know, basically the laws exist and it's just you've got to activate the, the various ministries. But we find that agencies have a bit of a silo... Um, I guess it's even they look at things in a silo fashion. They say, "Well, my responsibility is, let's say, um, work, work and employment conditions." So they'll go into Gloraville and they might look at that one lot, but they don't look left and right and see how it fits into this all-in life, this all-in domination and control that people aren't choosing their work or they're working as young children in dangerous jobs. So there's there's been a problem with agencies applying the law because they haven't looked a bit more holistically. In 2018, West Coast Area Commander Inspector Mel Aitken had said that, quote, a multi-agency approach to safety within the community has been adopted at Gloria Vale and regular visits are made to the community by police and also in a multi-agency-led approach which includes Oranga Tamariki, District Health Board and the Ministry of Education. Two years later, results still weren't being seen. Then, as Liz mentioned, another investigation into allegations of child sexual abuse was opened in July 2020. Liz launched a petition on the 2nd of October 2020, quote, that the House of Representatives urged the government to conduct a full independent inquiry into Gloria Vale, including concerns of modern-day slavery, exploitation, unsafe work practices, poor education, health neglect, coercion, oppression, physical and sexual abuse, and illegal activities, and the state's response to such claims. End quote. The petition closed on the 2nd of November and gained 1,253 signatures. I think they realise now that there's a high court hearing coming up and a lot of police charges, a lot of media attention, a lot of media attention. I think they are starting to realise that this could look poorly on them, uh, that perhaps they haven't been um, listening to us, perhaps they didn't believe us um, to the extent they should have, perhaps they could have been talking sooner. But I understand that prior to us becoming a charity, all we could do is ring up and say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm friends with a bunch of people who've left this cult <laughs> and we'd like to have a meeting with the government minister. It wasn't wasn't working out so well for us. But since we've established the charity, we're getting more of a name for ourselves, we're getting some credibility and the things we're saying and we're happening in there are now coming to the fore. I think every government department now knows what we're saying is true. Now there's a little bit more open communication about, okay, perhaps there's some way that you could even assist or advise. And I think that's where we would like to sit. Just for the benefit of the people still living in there, we actually care for those people. And for the benefit of those who have left, there's a role to play for leavers and our group to, to inform other agencies. In a hearing related to the John Reddy case on the 11th of February 2021, Barrister Brian Henry alleged that the Gloriavale community's current setup is breeding predators, uses members as slave labour, and utilises restricting food as a method of control. He argued that as a community set up to look after people's entire lives, it had a duty of care to provide a safe and proper environment. Richard Raymond QC, acting for Gloria Vale, said that the allegations were either historical and had already been dealt with, or were false. John Reddy told the Otago Daily Times that the court proceedings weren't about revenge. Quote, It's mainly about those who can't stand up for themselves. Liz Gregory said, Most of the people who leave Gloria Vale have grave concerns about the unhealthy nature of the community and they have remained silent and voiceless for a very long time. We are supporting the leavers to speak and tell their stories and get change for their families and loved ones who are still in there. We don't want to destroy people, but we want to destroy an abusive, controlling regime which ruins people. That's, that's what we would like to do.
And it all started because we wanted to help some people who'd left. <laughs> you can see the progression of let's help these people too. Oh, wow, we're facing a really big David and Goliath beast of a something which has spiralled out of control. It's too big even for the government to want to deal with. But I've, I've, learned, I've learned a lesson that small people, little people, insignificant people with big, loud, determined voices who do not give up can actually create change. And I think that's so exciting. And I want to encourage other people who've come from thought control groups and high demand groups who are looking, saying, what can we do? That you can do something. And I think that's a key. I remember um, going out, mowing the lawns and doing the garden, and that would be often my time of contemplation. And, and I would often think about the situation. What can be done? Like, why is no one doing anything? And this is terrible. And yeah, what can we do? And for years, I would think these things and I would pray. Why is, yeah, why is no one doing anything? And then it just sort of dawned on me, who was going to do this? You couldn't expect the levers to advocate for themselves and to bang on the doors of government ministries and do whatever. They were they're busy. They've got families. They're, some are traumatised. They're starting a new life. They don't know what to do necessarily or how to do it in those early years. And then I thought, who else is going to? Oh, well, who else cares about these people? Who cares enough to devote their lives to doing this? And I realised the answer was us. We were the only other people in potentially New Zealand, people who love people who've left Lorivale, love people who are in there. They are the people that have to do something. And it wasn't until it dawned on me <laughs> that we had to do something. <laughs> it became yeah, really clear that that was the answer all along, me. And I think maybe people who have a passion about something and they're like, why isn't someone doing something about it? The question is, yeah, why aren't you doing something about it? Why aren't you? And, yeah, that's my encouragement. This has been a journey, completely unplanned. <laughs> no one was prepared for this. But there's a challenge there. Find a passion. It's probably something right in front of your nose already. <laughs> Pick it up. Jump in with both feet. Expect there to be great inconvenience um, to your life. Um, but serve people with a passion and make an awful lot of noise and a racket along the way, but try to protect those that you love as much as you can. It's a bit of a balance, and we don't get it right all the time at all, but, you know, we're doing better than nothing. Zion Pilgrim, a senior leader at Gloria Vale, wrote a 14-page letter to Howard Temple outlining his concerns with the way the community was being run. He was ousted a short time later, in September 2020. Although he couldn't manage to improve Gloria Vale from within, he was optimistic that things could get better. He told Stuff, I think there's a lot of hope, and I just see everything that's going on as part of that journey. I asked Liz what her hopes were for Gloria Vale. There are lots of people inside and out who have written letters, who have had meetings, who have gone to them, who have begged them to change, to repent, to change, change their ways, to warn them and give them an opportunity. And they are not interested. They are extremely authoritarian and cult-like. And so where things go from now... Um, will be largely because of the pressure put on them and their own inability to see their faults, to turn from it, to apologise, to make restoration. Whatever happens is going to be entirely their fault and sitting at their feet. But we're aware of you know, the outcomes and there are people involved and there will be hurt and upset. So we're conscious of that too. 
meaningful change in Glorivale will mean that Glorivale looks nothing like it looks today. You want people to have, well, religious freedom, you want them to have personal autonomy, you want them to have decision-making, appropriate accommodation where they live with their families, not in big sort of hostel um, scenario where the entire family is squashed into one or two little rooms where they don't have their own ability to cook for their family or spend time with them. We want them to have decision-making over who their children spend time with, how they are parented, um, about their health care. In Gloryvale, it's like the parents have to give over the sort of guardianship rights to the leaders. And the leaders get to make the call about whether you take your child to um, the doctor or a hospital or get dental treatment. So you've got terrible health neglect in there. And you know, where your children are working and how they work and who they're with, all these things are not there for the parents to be allowed to decide. So one of the big things is, yeah, the family unit to be strengthened instead of weakened. We would like to see open communication because they are preventing uh, communication access into Gloria Vale. So just the things that you and I take for granted any day of the week, we just want that for them. We believe that is right and good. Is it possible? It would be the biggest miracle in the last decade. Oh, probably in the last hundred years, to be honest. It would be, you just look historically at other cult groups. How often do you get big mass apologies and repentance and restitution and change in a group so controlling and domineering? I don't see too many case histories, case studies of that. And like we say, uh, we're not going to take the blame for the outcomes. It will have to land squarely at the feet of the leaders and those who have enabled them. But we will be there to help. I'll finish today on Hannah's thoughts around whether Gloria Vale could one day be a healthy and safe community. This is a controversial thing, but I'm going to say no. I actually think, <laughs> I think it's bad from the roots. I think the beginning of it was bad and there were so many things wrong with it at the beginning that you couldn't just change a few things and it would all get better. If you think of one person that's gone through that and how much you have to retrain your mind and retrain your thought patterns and, and, and how much emotional trauma you go through, if you then took 500 people and tried to get them to do that when they were all still living together, it's not going to happen the way you think it will. February 2021, little over a month ago at the time of recording, three males were charged in relation to an ongoing police investigation into child abuse at Gloriaville. This was the final episode of Season 4 of Let's Talk About Sects. Thanks so much for listening and for your support. It's hard to believe I've now completed four whole seasons of the show. An early warning that Season 5 may begin a little later than the usual seasonal schedule, because I'll be writing a book this year and I anticipate that's going to be quite a lot of work. I'll definitely be finding some other ways to reward my Patreon supporters for helping me through this next endeavour. If you have had experiences in a cult, I'm going to be sending out a survey to collect some stories and reflections as part of the research for the book. So do sign up to the e-newsletter or hit follow on one of the social media channels if you'd be up for that. You can access ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon patreon.com slash ltaspod or with a one-off donation or merch purchase via ltaspod.com. Even a dollar a month will help with this rather daunting book project. Otherwise, I'd love you to drop a quick rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice or share an episode with friends if you found it valuable. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written by me, Sarah Steele, and researched by Hayley Gray and myself. Music was by Joe Gould. Thanks to Corey Green of Transducer Audio for editing. 
A very special thanks to Hannah Harrison for sharing her story with me and to Liz Gregory for answering all of my questions about the Leavers Support Trust, whose website you can find in the show notes. Information sources are listed on the episode page at ltaspod.com. Thanks again to Audio-Technica, presenting partner for Season 4 of Let's Talk About Sects. If you're in the market for some top-quality audio equipment, be sure to head to audio-technica.com.au to check out their stuff. Their range of earphones and headphones is quite ridiculous, from true wireless to noise cancelling to professional studio, and they're known for some of the best sound around. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to cult information and family support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia call or text 1737 in New Zealand, or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at iasp.info. Thanks for joining me and hope to catch you again next season. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.